I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, one and all, to episode 258 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And on this episode, we are joined by Mr. Dan Lorenzo for the first time in 11 years. And Jeremy Weltman, Mr. Patron's pick, will be joining us for the first hour. Dan Lorenzo joins us roughly around the 70-minute mark of this episode. So if you want to skip ahead to listen to him first, by all means, go ahead and do so, but stick around or at least go back and listen to me and Jeremy talk about various subjects. Uh, it's always fun to talk to Jeremy. He actually won Trivia Tuesday, which I do exclusively on Twitch, and the prize that he chose was to co-host the episode with me. And since I needed to do something for that first hour, and instead of reaching out to PR people to try to fill the gap there... I offered it up to him. So that's going to be one of the standard prizes for Trivia Tuesday now. Uh, if you haven't checked the show out, the replays are up on MarsAttacksRadio.com. You can get a feel for what it is. I ask questions, and all you guys have to do is answer on your phones, tablets, or computers. It's multiple choice. It's that simple. The quicker you answer, the more points you get or lose if you answer incorrectly. Uh, that's on Twitch, Tuesdays, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. in the UK, and 11 p.m. for those of you in Europe. Also, Fireside Friday, it happens one hour before the regular Signals from our show. It is roughly 45 minutes long, and if you're on Fireside, I can invite you up to talk about various discuss various topics that we're discussing. I usually talk about new releases some metal news and then invite people up for like the last 15, 20 minutes of the show. And I'm usually joined by once again, Mr. Jeremy Weltman and Dr. Poison, Mr. Brad Dahl. So that's always a lot of fun. And then followed by that signals from Mars at 11 PM uh, in the UK midnight for me and going backwards with all the times today. 6 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Pacific. So there you go. This week, we're going to have a lot of fun with my patrons talking about the best live albums of all time voted by them. And I want to give a quick shout out to my patrons. Let's go oldest to newest. Let's go. Steve Hoker, Mr. Patrons Pick, Jeremy Weltman, our Mike Jones. Mr. Yarg Metal, yargmetal.com, Brad Dahl. We have the Metal Dentist, Gabriel Ruiz. We have Chris Vaglio from the Chris and Amanda Show. Jose in Connecticut. Jerry from Long Island. Metal Dan, the Metal Politician. <laughs> Johan up in Sweden. We have Ed the Shred Ferguson. We have Mr. Anthony Mackey. And we have Steven Saylor and our newest patron, Actually, my brother, <laughs> Mr. Art Ruiz. Um, we have to put nicknames together for all the all the new people: Stephen Saylor, Anthony Mackey, and my brother. See what happens. But anyway, 
That's not up to me. The, the patrons, for the most part, come up with the names. There's, well, there's been a few that I've done, but anyway. So we do have the return of patrons pick in a second. Um, the Dan Lorenzo interview is a ton of fun. He talks about everything. When I mean everything, Hades, nonfiction, the cursed vessel of light, Cassius King. He talks about patriarchs in black. He talks about a single that Cassius King just released, which is Bad Man Down, which just came out yesterday. So I'm recording this on Friday the 21st. It came out Thursday the 20th. You can check it out on all of your streaming platforms, and you can check it out. You can check the video out, which is available as well. It is a really cool song, and Dan and I have not spoken in 11 years like this. I get into this during the interview and we're going to break that habit or we already did. We, we broke it with this, but here we go. Here's Jeremy Weltman with Patrons Club. Hello everyone. And welcome to the first patrons pick of 2022. Really looking forward to the year ahead. Hopefully there's going to be a lot of great music being released all through the year. And I'm going to, advise you on the ones that I really like, and hopefully you can uh, pick up a, a record or two through the year. This week, Victor mentioned that uh, on his website that there are 16 albums that have been released. There's an EP. Uh, there were six reissues, including two from Belfagar. Uh, there was a live album and one compilation. Victor himself chose Tony Martin's Thorns this week, which um, he may have mentioned already. He'll certainly mention probably uh, later on, if not. It was a very good album. We both liked it. Uh, a lot of the patrons, fellow patrons, uh, also liked it as well. It was a lot of um, Black Sabbath in there, a lot of Rainbow, and it was a really, really good album. There was a couple of others that are worthy of mention this week. There was the new album by Magnum, the British band, on their 22nd studio album on Steam Hammer. It's called The, Monsters, the Monster Roars. Uh, more sort of melodic stuff, very similar to uh, recent albums that they've released. If you like Magnum, you're going to like it. Uh, obviously, uh, Tony Clark and the guitarist, a very prolific songwriter, and he tends to write all of, all of the music and the songs. Then there was also some good melodic rock this week uh, from Out of This World on Atomic Fire Records. That's also worthy of um, listening to if you like um, if you like music a little bit melodic. But this week. I have chosen as the patron's pick the debut album from a Canadian band. The band is called Maul, and it's really a good, exciting album of unadulterated new wave of British heavy metal style music. You can hear Iron Maiden influences in there. There's a smattering of modern Void Vater, some similar sort of music to that band. It's fast-paced, it, it, but it's also melodic, and ultimately it's, it's a very raw-sounding album. A lot of the patrons liked it as well as me, so we're, we're all in favour of this one, I think. They speed through some songs like Evil Eye, Ritual, Summoner, uh, and their, um, their own track called Mole, and it's very much in deference to the sort of 1980s denim and leather and studded wristband era, which I like. Some of it is a little samey, so there is a little bit of a drawback there, but but there's great energy on this album. There's some great riffs, and to be honest, uh, a great start to the year. So this week's um, patron's pick is Maul's self-titled debut. 
There you go. The return of Jeremy with his patrons pick. Not a surprise there. The band Mall off of the album Mall with the song Mall. <laughs> well, but kind of like Iron Maiden by Iron Maiden off of the album Iron Maiden. Because if you're into old school Maiden, if you're into new wave of British heavy metal, I would definitely recommend that album. It's an album, and I talked to um, Jeremy about it. I talked to him about that. And I talked to him about Thorns by um, Tony Martin. Jeez, I blanked there for a second. Yeah, so I talked to him about both, and I mentioned how those two albums, in my opinion, were the best that came out last week. And I only really had the time to write about one of them. Sound like somebody else now. I've only got a few minutes to write about this. So I wrote about the uh, Tony Martin album. Anyway, so yeah, so uh, awesome choice. Great to have Jeremy back. Tonight, we have my patrons back for the best live albums of all time. I hope you guys can join us if you're listening to this on a Friday. It will be tonight. And as always, I want to thank you guys for choosing to listen to this podcast. There are a million other shows that um, you could be listening to, but you choose to listen to my show. So I am eternally grateful for you doing so. We're going to jump into the interview portion of the episode right now. Welcome, everyone, to the January 14th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me at the bottom, we have uh, Jeremy Weltman. We can hear Jeremy. Can't see him. I'm in a coal mine in in, uh, Wales. (laughs) (laughs) You're the canary in a coal mine there. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, Victor. Yeah, so after a bunch of different tries here, we're finally on, um, I don't know, the scheduled, uh, the, the scheduled stream that we had somehow crapped out. We started a second stream, that didn't work, and now we're on stream number three here, but at least it's going out. I see that some people are checking it out, and... Um, yeah, uh, Rob says it looks as if you're stuck in the blackout. More back in black, or it could be a spinal tap. So <laughs> given, given the events of how difficult it's been just to get here, probably closer to spinal tap. <laughs> <laughs> this will be good on the podcast anyway. It'll be fine. Yes, the podcast for tonight, Jeremy has a face for a podcast. <laughs> so. There you go. So Jeremy was just on with me on Fireside and we it was weird. We had difficulties on that as well. So, I mean, I don't know if it was, uh, if that's on my end, you would think that with a new computer that wouldn't happen, but uh, who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, so we do have Dan Lorenzo coming up. At the top of the next hour, at least that's the plan. I sent them the updated links. Let's hope that they're that things don't drop out any further and he is able to uh, join us. So um, 
Jeremy and I were going back and forth today with a bunch of different uh, topics that we were talking about. And Jeremy had to uh, pull the brakes there because we were maybe going in too deep with things that maybe we could discuss tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so, yeah, so we were kind of going back and forth with the whole uh, Judas Priest thing. Yeah. Yeah. which we talked a little bit last week about, but uh, not really in this format. So um, what's your take on this whole situation? So they've announced that they're going to be a four piece. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, my, my first impression was I was quite shocked by it. I mean, it was, um, you know, Judas Priest have never been a four piece and um, you know, let's, let's face it. Judas Priest are one of the great twin guitar bands of our time. You know, I mean, we I mean, we're not talking here about two guitarists in a band. We're talking about twin guitar attack, which is quite a different thing, I think. I mean, if if you can mention some of the twin guitar bands of the past, Wishbone Ash were probably one of the first ones. And then you've got Thin Lizzy, of course. And Judas Priest are are in that group. Uh, You know, it's not an ACDC band where one plays the the rhythm and the other plays the lead. It's, It's very much, you know, they're in sync with each other. Right. And so as soon as I heard that it was going to be a four piece, I was I was shocked. Uh, you know, I didn't know what to think of it <laughs> straight away. Right. It was um, it, it's quite a lot to take in. And then then I was sort of thinking, well, well why have they done this? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, why have they done this now? Why have they not done this in the past? Why is it suddenly thrust upon them? And, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues in Priest, which we know about. I mean, we know right. that Kate. First of all, we know that KK is not going back. We know that. So we'll right. put that to one side. Um, <laughs> we've, we've discussed that many times. He's, he's not going back, and they're not going to invite him back. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is it about Andy Sneap? I mean, uh, you know, he, he's, he's come into the band because, uh, because Glenn's ill, and Glenn's right. only playing um, – he's playing, he's playing encores. Right. Um, but I, I sort of came up with four reasons why Priest might might have done this. Okay. So the first the first reason I thought was that Sneep needs to be producing the album. I mean, I think he's producing the album. Um, and I think that they're a bit worried that, you know, if he's out on tour, he's, he's not going to be able to do the album. And they've got a lot of new songs. They need to get this thing finished. Uh, and he needs to be concentrating on what he's good at. Which is right, producing, right. so that that's one possible answer. And the, the the other second answer is that he doesn't quite fit into Judas Priest. I mean, you know, there's no time to get a replacement. Uh, when I saw them live at Bloodstock Festival, I thought he looked a little bit odd. He didn't quite fit in. He he, he never sort of, you know, it, it's not a twin guitar band when you when you see him in it. Mm-hmm. So that's the second thing. And the, and the third thing is I th- I thought maybe he didn't want to overshadow Glenn. Um, you know, he, he does the encores. Uh, maybe they're thinking now, you know, we, we don't want another great guitarist in the band. You know, they've got Richie. I mean, Richie's a guitar hero himself. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need another one because we've still got Glenn. Right. Um, and then the fourth one, which uh, I think you mentioned earlier today, and, you know, I was thinking about myself, was the financial aspect. You know, um, let's face it. We, you know, we, we can talk about this in, in probably a bit more uh, length, really, and I think you've probably got more to say on it as well. You know, let's face it, KK's a director of Judas Priest. 
Mm-hmm. He's still a director of, of the company, and Glenn's obviously involved as well. And neither of them are really playing in the band at the moment. So the money's getting spread around a lot here. Um, mm-hmm. We've had the pandemic. Uh, inflation's kicking off. Um, it's very costly to tour, which you've mentioned many times, you know, mm-hmm. with, with people that you've interviewed. And so I think the financial aspect is a big player here, regardless of what anyone might say. And I think you've got something to say on that. Yeah. Um, well, th- there's a few different things that I wanted to mention. So it looks like Andy Sneap was caught off guard uh, because that's at least what he's come out and said. Uh, so the quote is Rob called me last Monday and said they wanted to move on as a four piece, which I find incredibly disappointing after this amount of time. But I respect his decision and they obviously have a vision how they want this to play out. This was always a temporary situation. And like I said before, I'll always help the band any way I can. And that applies going forward. Also, he continues, I've been a huge fan of the band since the early eighties and it was mind blowing to play on stage with the guys and quite frankly, terrifying in the beginning at such short notice. We are moving forward with the new album next month and look forward to making a killer follow-up to Firepower. Mm. So mm. He seems, again, like he was caught off guard by that. And um, on social media, I saw that um, Glenn Tipton's brother actually chimed in. And let me see real quickly. If I can find that, um, it would have been good if I would have had this queued up already, but it is what it is. Let's see. Um, all right. This day in metal was where I found it yesterday. And okay. Ah. Nothing more interesting than having someone scrolling through pages on the internet. Um, All right. So maybe it wasn't yesterday, but it was from a few days ago. And of course, because I saw that Ripper Owens actually chimed in. Um, Yeah, of course, I'm not going to find this now. Anyway, so long story short. Glenn Tipton's brother basically says that he used to work for the Judas Priest company and no longer does. Um, Johan is saying, I guess money. Um, So that's what Glenn Tipton's brother is saying, that this is an economic reason. Mm. And he basically says he no longer works for the company. So he's got no you know, horse in the race, basically, but that's what he speculates. And he thinks that the band just wants to cut costs. Ripper Owens chimed in and said that he doesn't think that that's the case at all, because if they really wanted to um, save money, there's Mm -hmm. other ways of doing it. Like instead of saying in five-star hotels, it can stay in four-star hotels instead of everyone associated to the band flying first class. Mm. 
only the main members of the band fly first class and everyone else flies economy. You know, he said there's, there's a bunch of different things that can be done to, you know, help cut back costs. Yeah. And, and I had thought about this as well because everyone is speculating that they're going to have that music, you know, that second guitar part being piped in and Richie's just going to play all the solos, you know, um, I, I think what we may see, and this is what Corn did, when Corn lost Brian Head Welsh, they always had someone behind the stage playing guitar, mm. and little by little, after a few tours, they brought that person out until Head finally came back, and then obviously, you know, both guitars were up on stage. But figure this. Whoever Richie's tech is, I'm sure he's probably an extremely good guitarist as well. Yeah. Um, we've seen Maiden do this. Maiden, Steve Harris's uh, tech plays all the keyboards backstage. Um, there are, mem- you know, techs in other bands who do rhythm guitar parts, you know, to kind of replicate certain songs, how they originally sounded in the studio. Mm. And I could see them doing something like that, where they have someone that's playing off stage who isn't made, who doesn't have the name that an Andy Sneap has and they're backstage playing all the parts or just the parts that are, that are needed, you know? Um, I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Or unless, you know, it's exactly what you said before. Now we want Andy to focus on making this album the best album possible. We need to go out on tour. And as a result, what we're going to do um, is we're going to bring someone else in. And maybe that'll end up happening. Maybe they'll get to the you know rehearsal stage and realize, you know what, this isn't working. Let's um, uh, let let's let's have someone else come in and, and I get it. I mean, I've talked to, to Mark Striegel about this a bunch of times. I've said, you know, why hasn't metal Mike been brought in to, to play with, with priest. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, first of all, he doesn't think that priest wants to bring someone else in that, um, that maybe would make things way in Halford's direction. You know, they want to keep things kind of even, so the people that they bring in are people that are kind of in the middle and aren't going to sway in one opinion or, or another. Um, yeah. So that, and then I mean, he said that Mike may actually charge more money to appear. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you know, let's face it, Judas Priest are not young men. They're, they're you know, right. about 70 years old now uh, or getting that way. And, and when you get to that age, you don't want new people joining you. You know, you you you're quite settled in your ways. Uh, they're probably thinking, you know, we, we're on the last tours that we're going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, we we need to be uh, confident of the people we're working with. Uh, you know, around us, and obviously they're confident with Richie because they've played with Richie now for a long time. He's a, yes. he's a settled member of the band, um, and Glenn's still around. Let's not fe- let's not forget that Glenn's making the music. He's he's doing the the record. And he and he's coming on. He's coming on for the encores. Um, so you know, it's not like he's disappeared completely from the scene. Really, well, 
and their manager's his wife. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know. And I, you know, I don't buy it that uh, this argument about they can go down from five star to four star because I don't think that Judas Priest are a band now that goes first class and it stays in five star hotels. <sighs> Could be. Who knows? I don't it, think they are. I don't think they are anymore. I think the realities are crept up with them, and I think that they, um, you know, that they, they've cut costs where they can and. You know, the cost of touring. I was reading recently uh, a very, much, much smaller band um, where the guitarist is uh, a train conductor full time because the band makes no money. And right. this is a band that you've heard of. It's a very small band, but you've heard of the band. And it's the Tigers and Pantang. Oh, wow. And they don't make any money at all from touring. So, you know, okay, Priest, you know, they're, they're a, a, obviously a leg up, but, you know, what, what money are they making from touring when, they, when you take into account the costs? <clears throat> yeah, and, and I, think, I think Priest also has done a few things that, I mean, let's, let's look at their contemporaries. Let's look at Iron Maiden. Yeah. Maiden is probably at this point in time the second or third biggest metal band in the world. I mean, Metallica is obviously first, second band that's actively touring. I mean, you could argue is either Maiden or maybe Slipknot or yeah. uh, maybe Kiss. But I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't know that Kiss is even making the money that Maiden is. Who knows? I mean, in the states they are, but mm. um, Priest has done a lot of. Yeah, Brad says Maiden Conspiracy. <laughs> there you go. And maybe that's what they'll do. There'll be a uh, Maiden Priest tour, and, and there will be, on rotating nights, there will be a different Maiden guitarist playing for a Priest. Um, but maybe maybe that's, that's we, we have to look at that. What did Judas Priest not do that Maiden did do? Because around the same time, you had the lead singer switches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue the fact that Priest Singer fit better than Maiden Singer fit in the band. Um, I know a lot of people don't like the album Demolition, but I absolutely love the album. Mm. Um, But when they came back, I mean, I, I think the difference between the two is Priest became like a nostalgia act right away where Maiden didn't. I think that if you saw Priest Live, first of all, we've talked about this a bunch of times. Now, now instead of being one Ian Hill, there were four Ian Hills on stage because Halford was stuck in front of a teleprompter reading lyrics. Mm. You know? Um, and it's funny because a lot of people would say, no, that's because of his back. Yeah. Check out the footage of the fight reunion shows that he did in between some of these priest tours. And he was moving around like it was late 80s, early 90s. Mm. Ozzy got in his head and, and at one point said, how are you, how are you going to remember all these lyrics? You know, you're, you're going to one day you're going to forget on stage. It freaked Rob the fuck out. Eddie Trunk said this years ago. And what happened was ever since, ever since he rejoined Priest. They've had teleprompters everywhere so he doesn't forget lyrics. 
Yeah. Um, and it's not the same Guns N' Roses does the same thing, but Axl Rose isn't stuck in front of the monitor. He moves around, and if he needs the monitors, he knows that he has them there. Rob is fixated on them. Yeah. Um, so, so you have that. Um, their live show, if you look at, I posted footage of them playing Devil's Child on Patreon not too long ago after Facebook had me remove it. And Rob was all over the stage. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, David Lee Roth jumping and whatever, but he was moving back and forth and commanding the crowd and, and whatnot. And it's a completely different thing. Um, there's that. And I think, again, I think the albums, I know a lot of Priest fans have argued with me about this, <clears throat> but I think that, the albums haven't been as great as what people, I mean, in my honest opinion, I think firepower is beyond awesome. It's one of their best albums, but between, in my opinion, between demolition and firepower, the albums have all been subpar. If you look yeah. at, yeah. if you look at the first one, angel of retribution. Ah, but I like that album. <laughs> I know you, do, I know you're not so keen, but I actually like that one, but yeah. I, I I know it's, what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not not what it was. It's not a bad album. Yeah. But it's Paint by Numbers, Judas Priest. You okay, look yeah. at every yeah. song off of that album, except for Judas's Rising and Loch Ness, which we now know that obviously KK wrote it based on the KK's Priest album. Mm. Um, <laughs> Judas's Rising is a classic, is an yeah. all-time classic by them. Absolutely. But Every other song on there is like, oh, we needed a song. We need a song that sounds like something off a of painkiller. We yeah. need something that yeah. sounds like it came off of British Steel. We need some. So it seemed like it's a lot of regurgitated stuff. And it isn't as if they were the most, the band that innovated the most, but their songs were good, had great choruses that you sung along to them. With my kids in the car this week, we've listened to um, Screaming for Vengeance and mm. um, Defenders of the Faith. We've been listening to it like the last two days. And a lot of the riffs are, are, are refried riffs from one album to another. But the songs are still great. They're still catchy and they still make you want to listen. So. Yeah, they're great albums. Uh, but the other thing is, you could say the same thing about Maiden, really, couldn't you? I mean, Maiden, the, yeah. the current stuff by Maiden is nowhere near as good as the stuff that they were producing in the 80s. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's like a different band. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I mean, it's I great to hear it. It's great to hear new stuff mm -hmm. by them, and there's some great songs, but it's it's not, it's not the same. Yeah, I, I agree with you. To me, Maiden, if we, if we want to get on that, up everything from the first album to seventh son is classic to yeah. me. Yeah. Then you have a bunch of mediocre to okay albums. Brave new world to me is great. It's almost like revisiting those first few albums for the most part, but then the last two albums kind or the last two songs kind of give you a peek into what's to come yeah. with these long like 10 minute songs with, uh, you know, Nomad and, and uh, there's a thin line between love and hate. I mean, there's other songs on there, like out of the silent planet is like eight minutes long 
Mm. But that song is entertaining. They, there's a lot of cool transitions, and it reminds me of like a Power Slave, you know, like the title track, the Power Slave, where yeah. it's long, but you don't realize how long it is because the the song is so great. But then once you get to to Dance of Death and everything after, yeah, there's one or two excellent songs on there. But then there are even some albums like I know a lot of people love. Um, Oh, the album with the tank on it. Um, Matter of Life and Death. Matter of Life and Death. Yeah. Is there one song off of a Matter of Life and Death where you could sit back and say, wow, that's this album's uh, Run to the Hills or Flight of Icarus or Revelations or it doesn't have it. it you know, they're no, all no. okay songs. They're nothing sucks. Yeah. But there's nothing. But Maiden has been able to keep things going where priest hasn't. And also maiden has known when to tour. So Mark talked about this a bunch of times where priest played the New York area, like three times in a year. They never did that back in the day. If you were lucky, they came around once every 18 months, you know, so it made it special. Oh, okay. Let's see priest because we know they're not coming back until this date. You know, um, and now, well, you know, if I don't catch them now, they're going to be here in a month and a half. So no biggie, you know, and yeah. and yeah. they're playing the same songs over and over again. So at the end of the day, it doesn't make it special anymore. Um, we can look at someone like Ozzy, who's been playing the same stuff since 82. <laughs> I, I think him having this time off is actually helping him because it's, you know, getting people antsy to see him again. And also knowing that it's probably the last time they'll see him. So yeah. people are more yeah. forgiving with what they're going to get from him. Yeah. Um, his tour's now canceled, isn't it? For this coming year. I think he's now playing in 2023 yes. in June, in June yep. in the UK. So, you know, it's a year and a half away. I don't know how old he's going to be then. Uh, I hope he makes it because I'd like to go. I'd love to see him Me again. Too. I've never seen uh, him live. Yeah, and I believe that Priest is still supporting him on that tour. Uh, that's the plan. Um, God knows how old Rob's going to be on that tour as well. <laughs> but that's that's the thing. Priest is still latched onto that tour. Let's not forget that tour was supposed to happen at this point two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I had a ticket. <laughs> So, so priest, you know how they had everything. And this is with a lot of bands. You, you talked about the whole tigers of Pang tank thing, but let's look at it this way. They had something mapped out. COVID happened. That Aussie tour was the biggest tour that they were going to be a part of yeah. in years. Yeah. You have to think had that have happened we wouldn't be here talking about a priest four piece probably. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. Because they would have been able to sustain, you know, what they had going on and they would have, they, they wouldn't have had to make, if, if this is a money decision, they wouldn't have had to pull the trigger on this. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Probably right. I mean, uh, I mean, we've got an Aussie album coming out this year, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, I just really hope that he tours again. 
But I mean, just shifting the um, discussion a little bit onto mm-hmm. a band that is still making great music and is touring. Um, I heard a, a track this week by Saxon. Now I know I know okay. you're not a I know you're not a massive fan, right? Um, but you know, over here in the UK, it's part, it's an institution here. Um, right. You know, if you're a hard hard rock or metal fan, Saxon are the band. But it was such a great track. I mean, I really recommend Victor you have a listen to it. I know I'll listen to it. I'm going to force you to do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's called it's called "Remember the Fallen." Okay. Initially, I thought that the track was about um, the war because you know Saxon, as you know, write a lot of war songs. Right. But it's not. It's about COVID. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's fantastic and it's really made me excited because i'm going to go and see them in a couple of weeks okay Um, and they've got a a tour with three other uh british bands uh girl school diamond head and the famous uriah heap there you go Uh, and it's going to be a great concert i mean there's going to be a lot of old people there it's gonna be a lot of gray hair But it's going to be it's going to be great, and the great thing about it is it's the first um, indoor gig that I've been to since March 2020 when I last saw Testament in Manchester, uh, okay. and I think Testament actually caught COVID at, uh, around that time. Right, uh, yeah, a few, yeah. few of the band members caught it, so it's going to be great. Um, it's it's pretty much sold out because uh, I think everyone's kept their tickets because obviously, as you know, Biff had a heart attack. Right. Uh, and then it was cancelled because of COVID. So, um, yeah, it's a big thing here in the UK. It's going to be, it's going to kick off the year in big style. <laughs> <laughs> Brad is saying, Saxon always brings it, never a bad live show. Biff does not have a teleprompter. I'm not sure he can read. So there you go. <laughs> um, the, the interesting thing about the uh, Saxon Live, I mean, if you've only heard, um, uh, or any listeners have only ever heard, uh, you know, studio tracks by saxon you really need to hear them live because they are actually a very different band they're they're much heavier much more much more metal than they are on on record uh and i have a a copy of the uh i think it's called the uh i'm trying to think it's called saint george's day live in manchester live album and i'm 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 gonna say this now it's not in my top 10 of all time (laughs) which we'll talk about next week but um so it's one of the outsiders but um i was actually at the gig it was a monday night in manchester on st george's day Mm -hmm. um and the place was rocking it was really packed and you know when you think about it monday night you don't expect it to be that lively but it's brilliant you really need to hear the hear that album it's amazing I will have to uh, check it out. So uh, I was just uh, put there up on screen that Brad Dahl had said that Loch Ness is the baby Ruth in the pool from Caddyshack. So um, actually been uh, preparing some new sound uh, bites for Trivia Tuesday and other things. And I actually cataloged all of my old IDs that I had people prepare. And funny enough, I completely forgot that I had interviewed someone from Uriah Heep. So I was able to pull this one up. If it plays. Okay. Okay. My My name's Phil Landon. I'm in Uriah Heep. And you're you're listening to Mars Attacks. Who was that? Was that Mick Box? 
Now, Phil Lazan, it says. Okay, okay. I didn't I didn't hear, yeah. Okay. Okay. And that didn't come through on your end? It was uh, a little bit garbled. Okay. Yeah, well, he was a little bit garbled. Okay. Let, <laughs> let me see if you can hear this one because you just name dropped this as well. Hey, hey this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Yeah. <laughs> that one cool. you heard. Yeah, yeah. Great band, Testament. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rob is getting ready for a Midwest storm. Good luck, Rob. Uh, good luck with the shovel. Hope. Uh, Hope you don't get buried in there and um, good luck with the snow. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had a, a little discussion. I mentioned this before on the fireside show and um, all right. Yeah. So Brad is saying there was some delay on those sound bites. I found it interesting that there were people that commented on a meme about new bands getting their fair share. And there were a few artists that had chimed in on it who I've seen them say in interviews where, oh, no, I don't follow so-and-so anymore. Yeah, I don't follow ACDC anymore. I don't follow KISS anymore. It's like, well, if you're out and out saying that you don't follow new music anymore, then maybe you shouldn't ask people to buy your new music. To me, it just seems kind of hypocritical. Mm. So, um, yeah, so my brother's trying to convince the missus to go see, uh, is that Saxon, uh, Saxon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You need to go. You need to go. They're <laughs> great life. Great band life. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, we talked about the, uh, I, I could, can I also mention there's a, there's a, Quite a few really good gigs coming up in the UK, and presumably they're touring elsewhere as well. So probably the rest of Europe and maybe even the um, the US. You know, okay. there's quite a few coming up in the first half of the year. I mean, one of them that really sticks out to me, which might actually interest you, Victor, in May in Manchester, Alice Cooper's touring here with the Cult. Oh wow! Support act. So I think that's that's a great gig, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then a month later, we've got Royal Blood arriving. So that's going to be good. Um, and also Aerosmith. I know you're not uh, not so keen, but uh, Rival Sons are supporting Aerosmith, and that's going to be a good gig. Um, and then if we move back to May, again, uh, Whitesnake, Foreigner, and Europe are touring together. Sounds like a good thing to me. Um, and also in April... Wasp are touring, and I saw them a couple of years, well, probably about three or four years ago in Manchester, and they were really good. Yeah, well, the Wasp is going to be touring in the States with Armored Saint, actually. Oh, that's that's excellent. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they haven't announced the um, the support act in, in the UK yet, so we're, we're waiting to hear who's playing. I'm trying to find. I can't find the... Um... Uh, the link for the uh, uh, Rockfest Barcelona, which... Okay, yeah, yeah. I wanted to see if Saxon was playing that. The heck they, do, is... they do play a lot of festivals. So it's, oh, okay. It's quite, quite possible. So here it is. So so people see... Um, 
me share the screen here. All right, so you guys see what I'm referring to. So the Barcelona Rockfest is three days, June um, Thursday, June 30th, which is Man of War, Nightwish, Dropkick, Mercies, Murphy's, excuse me, Jesus. Except Goddard, Ginger, Insomnium, Bullet, Marath, Storm Zone, Black Owl, and Celtica. And let's see, July the 1st, which is a Friday, Alice Cooper, Merciful Fate, Blind Guardian, UFO, Ailstorm, Symphony X, Diamond Head, Orange Goblin, Nashville Pussy, uh, Contrust, Bloodbath, Evil Invaders, Anthem and Reef. And then the show that we may tentatively go to, if it's still on, is Kiss, Judas Priest, Megadeth, Saxon. Oh. Uh, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, Doro, Angela Sepatrida, DAD, My Dying Bride, Blues Pills, The New Roses, Cyclonautis, Disconnected, Rock Goddesses, or Rock Goddess, excuse me, and Mind Driller. It's, so. an, ama- it's an amazing lineup. I mean, you've got to go on that day because, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Kiss, Judas Beast, Megadeth, and Saxon, and I can't quite read the rest. I mean, you did read them out. I can't see it on my screen. But, uh, I mean, it's just it, – it, oh, I think it said uh, Angelus Apatrida are on yeah. as well. But, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Let's see if I, I mean, can... it, it's like a dream. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you, you've got other bands on the other days. It's uh, – I think I can see except there. Yeah, I think you mentioned um, – Man of War, never seen Man of War. So yeah, it's just it's really good, really good festival. Your your chance at seeing a bunch of sixty uh, year old men in leather thongs on stage. <laughs> yeah, they could be on for about ten hours. They, they, yeah. they're, they're renowned for it, aren't they? Man of War, they'll play forever. <laughs> I lost track of that band sometime in the nineties. Yeah, uh, a band that you know, there's very there's very few of them. But um, they're they're one of those bands that I lost track of because they just started putting out things that no longer interested me. See, I don't get how a lot of a lot of people associate power metal to Judas Priest and Iron Maiden when Manowar Mm -hmm. probably has a lot more to do with power metal than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Brad's made a good point there as well. He's saying about UFO. I, I thought actually UFO were coming to an end but very shortly, and that they're obviously seem, they seem to be booking extra shows and keeping <laughs> it going a little bit. Maybe uh, maybe Phil Mogg doesn't want to actually retire after all. I guess he's realizing that he's got to pay the bill somehow. Yeah, <laughs> and and what's he going to do? He's going to do. He's not going to sit there doing the garden, is he? He wants to do music. <laughs> that's that's the argument I have with people all of the time. And say, you know, I remember arguing with somebody when they were saying, oh, the Stone Temple Pilots should have ended after so-and-so, uh, after Scott Weiland died. You know, they should still, they should give up. They should give up on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what are they supposed to do? Go paint houses? Yeah. You know, they already tried doing two bands under a different name and it didn't make as much money. And let's be honest. They're the guys that were out there working the name and working the music and getting the notoriety, not 
some numbskull on the internet. So yeah, absolutely. And as Brad's just correctly said, you know, Phil is singing really well. I mean, he's got a great voice. He still puts it, puts all into it. And, um, you know, why not? I mean, Magnum, I mean, I think Brad mentioned on Fireside earlier on, you know, Magnum have come out that they're releasing stuff, you know, they're in their early seventies now. And, you know, you're not expecting them to sound exactly like they did in the 1980s. Right. You know, they, they, what what are they going to do? You know, these are music musicians. They need to make music. Yeah. Um, so Art is asking, who was the who was the band we saw and the singer was up there in age and needed help to climb a tower? Um, no, Volbeat, no. Uh, it was uh, Peter Murphy of Bauhaus. Bauhaus was opening up for Nine Inch Nails, and for some reason, Peter Murphy decided that he was going to climb on top of a, uh, a a stack, a Marshall stack. And of course, if you don't step on there correctly, it's two cabinets and the head. And of course, they started to wobble as he's climbing up. And so a roadie came running out and helped him down before he broke his neck, basically. So it was uh, rather interesting. I've only ever seen two bands uh, climb, you know, climb the amps, climb the towers. And one was Airborne, which seemed to do it quite often. And the other is um, um, Michael Monroe, okay, as well. But he he was absolutely brilliant as well. <laughs> we saw Airborne uh, here in Bilbao, Spain, and it was a midweek show. And I mean, I'm not big at going to to midweek shows because obviously you got to work the next day. Mm. And it was a, a bunch of friends wanted to go, and they were like, "Look." It's probably going to be our only chance to see this band in a small club or not. A club isn't that small. It probably holds about 2000 people, I would guess. Um, and sure as shit, he was running back and forth all over the place. There's bars on the sides of the, um, of the, of this small, of this club. He was, up there with his explorer on the on the bar going back and forth drinking whiskey while he was playing and he, he was climbing the yeah you know the the amps and up the lighting truss and the whole deal i mean it was yeah yeah you know. i i think i think airborne are the um the loudest support band that i've ever seen so <laughs> uh, i mean that's uh, something you know because mostly the support bands they don't have the you know the help from the uh, technicians yeah. let's say <laughs> so they tend to be a little bit quieter the you know a bit more muffled but something happened i was in the men arena and i walked in just as they started and mm-hmm. it was the it was uh i'd say it was as loud as acdc actually in the <laughs> men arena as well but they weren't supporting them they were i think they were supporting i'm trying to think who they were it wasn't molly crew i can't remember who they were supporting they'll come to me in a minute but they were so loud Crew turns their opening bands down. Crew does that. Priest yeah. does that. Priest, I've yeah. seen them with uh, Megadeth and Testament. Yeah. And it was funny. Again, one of the friends that went to the Airborne show said, wait, wait till Judas Priest comes on. He said that the bass drum, said Scott Travis's bass drums will, will be louder than your heart beating. You'll feel it in your chest. And and sure enough, they were loud as hell while every while every other band was slightly lower. So when I saw them with Saxon and Motorhead, it was the same thing. Saxon was at a certain level, Motorhead was a little louder, 
And then Priest was way louder than than both of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the uh, you know they don't want to be outshined. How many stories have we heard of like Van Halen opening up for Black Sabbath or Kiss opening up for uh, I forget what band it was in the seventies that until they locked their tour manager, uh, the other band's tour manager in a. Um, uh, in a cabinet, basically, in the touring <laughs> cabinet, uh, they they weren't able to get their sound guys in and, and jack the sound up to as loud as they wanted to. And after doing that, they got kicked off of the tour. But um, yeah, I mean, that kind of sucks because you want to see you're paying to see a full show most of the time, not yeah. just a headliner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that gives you a better. A better kind of uh, more respect for the band. Getting back to Priest, one of the reasons why I didn't like Priest until later on was because I remember Rob Halford would get interviewed on MTV all the time and he would say, we're the best metal band of all time. No one puts on a metal show like we do. They're not even close. You know, we blow everyone else off the stage. I was like, get out of here. (laughs) You know, instantly when I see people boasting like that, it turns me off. So, yeah. I'm sure yeah. that there were other people that were like, uh, okay, you know, because at the time you had Metallica coming up, you had Ozzy who was super huge in the States and people were waiting for the next calamity that was going to involve Ozzy. So, you know, whatever priest was doing, sure. It was cool, but it was tame in comparison to what all of these, uh, other bands were doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever seen um have you ever seen a support band that's actually been better than the um the the, the headline act? I'm trying to think if I've ever seen one that I you know, I've just mentioned Airborne. I think they were pretty much on a par. I can't even remember what the what the headline act was when I saw them, but um, Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think. Yeah. Um well, I I'll tell you one while you're thinking. I, I've okay. definitely seen Thunder live because, as you know, in the UK, Thunder, uh, you know, they're quite a big act here, and they right. they, they now headline a lot of um, a lot of arenas, really. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen them sort of second on the bill to you know when they have these sort of three bands on, so they'll have sort of White Snake, Thunder, Thin Lizzy, that sort of mm-hmm. that sort of lineup. Uh, and Thunder, I've seen on, if not first on, certainly second. And I think that they've blown the blown the rest of the bands away because they've, they've got the they've got the songs, and then they've allowed them to just play as they would play as a light, you know, as a headline act. Right. Well, so that's that's one. Uh, have you seen Brad's comment? He says, "Yeah, oh yeah, okay, yeah." Rain, Rainbow with Dio. Opening up oh, wow. for, for Mario Speedwagon. Yeah, wow. I, I think that would that would be a no contest there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I've on festival bills. Uh, when I took my wife to see Kiss on that festival bill, Dio was on right before, mm. and it was the last Dio solo tour before he he died actually, and my wife. Will still say to this day she liked Kiss, but thought that Dio was a lot better. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. And then I've been to festivals where, you know, I, I can remember the Sonosphere in Madrid, Spain, where okay, Metallica was headlined, 
by playing the Black album in its entirety. But Evanescence, outside of Metallica, Evanescence and The Offspring, who surprised me, both blew everyone else on the bill away, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 Um, because you go to some of these festival bills and people are just mailing it in sometimes, you know. I know that there are a lot of Slayer diehards out there, but I got to see Slayer doing the same show they had done the year before with, instead of Jeff Henneman, had um, had uh, Gary Holt instead, but it was the same songs. I was like, oh, okay. And then um, we'd seen Machine Head, who it felt like they'd kind of mailed things in, and Soundgarden closed that night with Evanescence and Offspring. And I thought they were boring as hell. I've seen them twice live, and both times I thought that they were very boring. Love their studio albums. Yeah. But I don't know. I wanted to see them with some of their more upbeat, like straight-ahead hard rock and metal songs that kind of pummel you instead of just some of the more dronier songs where I get it. If you're at like um, a Doom Festival, that makes sense. But if you're at... You know, if if you're going shoulder to shoulder with other metal bands that are from all different types of, you know, metal, I would think that you would uh, want to throw some other stuff in there. So, yeah, yeah, I think at festivals, it's quite easy to see a band lower down the order and think that they've been the best band on the day because they, you know, they turn up, they they really hit you and, and at the right, right time as well. I mean, I've been at, at festivals where I've seen Michael Schenker lower down the bill. And obviously we know what Schenker can do. You know, he, he's brilliant. And so, you know, if you're watching Dr. Doctor at six o'clock in the evening and, right. and then later on you're watching Priest, you, you sort of, your mind's thinking, you know, Schenker was actually the best on today. Um, <laughs> so that that's happened. And um, I was at, a, I was at a, a gig in Hyde Park in London. It was Aerosmith. Uh, and it, he was support. Uh, they were supported by um, quite a few bands, and one of them was Jet. I don't know if you've heard yeah. Jet. Uh, they, yeah. they, they were really, really, they were really, really good live. You know, just on mm-hmm. the day, Abs- absolutely superb. And I, you know, went away thinking, well, that was probably the best band I've seen today. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, so yeah, I, I guess Art is saying here that. Uh, with uh, Notfest, it was kind of the same thing. He saw uh, all the other opening bands uh, were lower than Slipknot. And mm. once Slipknot came on, it went all the way up. Johan is saying that Warlock before Dio in 87, they were really good. Mm. And Brad is chiming in saying that uh, Queensryche opening up for Kiss on the Animalized Tour, Reich was unbelievable. So um, well, that, that, that's another band that I've seen on a, a festival where they have been the best band, and they had um, they had Jeff Tate with them at the time, and, and right. they were brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The only time I've ever seen them live, and they were the superb. Yeah. See, I the only time I got to see them was opening for Maiden, and Halford was on the bill. So uh, mm. it was I, my one and only time seeing Maiden. So that's what's ingrained in my memory from there, but they kicked ass. I mean, seeing yeah. Scotty Rockenfeld walk out nonchalantly yeah. on stage and just play this shit out of the drums for an hour and something was, was awesome. So, yeah. 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 So, um, anyway, 
Um, I do see that our next guest uh, has uh, joined us here. Uh, Jeremy, I thank you for uh, helping within the first hour here. Thank you for winning Trivia Tuesday and being able to uh, come on and co-host with me today. Yeah, no problem, Victor. Good luck with the interview and I'll be listening in. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Bye. All right. And from the UK, we transition over to New Jersey. To New Jersey. There we go. How are you, Victor? I'm doing good, Dan. How are you? Good, man. What is it, like three in the morning there? Time for you Spaniards to eat dinner? (laughs) It is uh, almost one in the morning. But, so it's like uh, almost the restaurants have almost opened for dinner, right? Well, yeah. Well, that, that's funny because most of the people that know where I am, unfortunately, I have to hide that from a lot of PR people and label people because they get weird about that stuff. But um, Joey Vera from Armored Saint said that one of the uh, weirdest things was coming over here and asking to eat dinner at like five o'clock. And people were looking at him like he had like three eyes or whatever. And he said, well, I've been to four continents. I've been to like uh, 25 countries. I've never been to Spain because my wife went there and she's like, oh, yeah, they eat dinner at 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, what? We got home from dinner already, man. We were I was finished with dinner tonight at 630. You know, I mean, right. That's a little late for me. You know, I'm, I'm getting older, man. I'm going to bed around when you guys are starting to have your dinner. Right. Well. Um, I, I will say that depending on the region that you visit, like the tourist, touristy areas, which are usually like jam packed with Brits and, uh, Germans, they're serving lunch or excuse me, they're serving dinner at around 5 PM because they're used to people, you know, doing that. But, um, yeah, uh, in my household, we're atypical. We usually eat around 8 PM where I know plenty of people that eat at 10 o'clock or, or later. That's like, and, yeah. and with all the COVID restrictions, you know, you see stuff in the news and especially here where, where I am in the North, there's uh oh, well, uh, in my province, there's 75 municipalities that have decided that bars and restaurants need to close early. Uh, we're going to force them to close at 3 a.m. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Crazy. Yeah. So, and, and as I've heard a lot of people say before, nothing, I mean, most of these places are open till about, you can find places that are open till about 7 a.m. Um, nothing good happens after like 2 a.m. Between 2 and 7, there's a lot of like bad shit going down. There's a lot of bad decisions going on in people's a lot, heads. A lot of times I'm going out for breakfast and I'll look, I'm like, why isn't Starbucks open? And it's like, because it's 540, you know, it's like, I, I wake up too early, man. Yeah, I got to have dinner by six, you know, we were Jeremy, who was on before you. We were, I always bring this story up because he's a big Saxon fan. Um, I saw a festival at this point. I think it was 2010. Kiss had just finished playing and Saxon came on after them. It was quarter to four in the morning. And Biff Byford says, only in Spain can we hit the stage at 345 in the morning. This I is- did that once in my life on Long Island. Hades played a show and we we're headlining. And okay. it took us about five and a half hours to get there from New Jersey. Friday, Long Island, New York traffic. Right. We went on stage at, I believe, 2 a.m. 
and we're at home by 4 a.m. But it was okay. literally like a five-hour drive out there on a Friday night, you know, just traffic, Crazy. traffic, traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good Good old New York traffic. Many, many a times going to JFK and spending three to six hours in traffic. So I know where you're coming from. <laughs> so we've talked about food and we've talked about traffic. That's it. Are we done with the interviews or anything else to talk about? Yeah. No, you don't have anything going on, do you? You know, no not band? really. Yeah. No. I was looking up because you, I can honestly say this. A lot of people say, Hey, do you keep in touch with people that you interview? I'm like, I, I, I don't talk to people about their hobbies or stuff like that. We usually talk about music. And yeah. I always say Dan Lorenzo is the only person that frequently contacts me. He sends really? me, you know, stuff that he's working on and I gladly accept it, listen to it. And I'm always overjoyed when I, receive stuff from you. And I always think that, you know, I, I always try to post about the stuff that you're doing because thank of that. Cause I mean, people you. that are good to me, I want to be good to them. So thank you. Yeah. Um, I looked it up. It's been 11 years since I've spoken to you, you know, uh, done a podcast or anything even remotely close to that. So Wow. A lot of shit has gone down since then. <laughs> yeah, take your time, huh? Yeah, no, a lot. Should we start? Should we start the music part of this interview? Yeah, let's start the music part of uh, the interview. Although I did have a basketball question. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, how's your basketball game in 2022? I'm going to be honest. Friday night, a week ago tonight, I rented out the court for my guys and I to play indoors for okay. my my birthday celebration, and because I got a little uh, extra money of bonus for my job. So I okay. rented out an indoor court and there was eight of us and I effing lit it up for the first couple of games. I have to be honest. I'm not a good basketball player. My friends are way right. better than me, but every now and then I'll run on these little streaks where I'm like, just it looks like I'm Steph Curry for about three minutes. It'll last, you know, right. but uh, the first game before, you know, it was five, nothing. And I scored or scored all five points, but, and I'm not good. I, you know, I'm, I'm not good. It's just that it was, I don't know, lucky, but, yeah. So to go to music, if we may. Yes. So you go ahead. I was going to say um, in 2007, I put out a record with some unknown singer named Bobby Blitz from Overkill. Yes. And um, the world didn't care. So uh, it was a great record called The Cursed Room Full of Sinners. I yep. believe um, the European label was actually a Spanish label, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Based in Spain by way of Germany, I believe. And um you know, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Am I allowed to curse on this show? Yeah, you can curse. Thank God. Um, I said, you know, what's the sense, man? We put out a great record. Nobody cares. And I'm like, I'm just going to go play basketball. And I really just did that for 10 years until I met with uh, Nathan Opposition from the band mm -hmm. Ancient Wisdom. And then I did four uh, Vessel of Light records in three years. The coronavirus shut things down. So I, I just kept writing and writing. I ended up doing... Uh, Cassius King was always a project of mine I did covers with, but Jason McMaster and I hooked up and um, we uh, did a Cassius King record called Field Trip. Mm -hmm. And now I'm already finished. I have this list of songs right here that I've recorded guitar for. For my next two albums, I got maybe 11 or 12 Cassius King songs and about 13 Patriarchs and Black songs recorded. And now I'm just waiting for everybody else to catch up with me, you know? <laughs> so what's it like for you when, I mean, because your riffs are tremendous. Uh, when I, when I posted that I was going to have the riff, 
the 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 shit it wasn't the riff meister i said something else um anyway the uh riff master extraordinaire is what i said okay your riffs are huge they're tremendous they're they kick you on your ass but you're just churning this stuff out left and right yeah is is it did you have a lot of this stuff saved up during those 10 years where you just played basketball? Or is this just stuff that's coming no. out? The Vessel of Light EP was stuff that I had written, you know, after uh, the record with Blitz. Okay. And, uh, and then Woodshed was maybe one or two song ideas. Mm-hmm. Like I have this recording unit over there and I have 265 pieces of music. Some of them are songs. Some of them are riffs. Some right. of them are literally just one riff, but mm-hmm. I want to save it. And then um, what I usually do is uh, when I was working with Nathan, I would mail him like 20 things or blitz, say, and mm-hmm. they'd be like, you know, finish this song, make this into a song. So um, sometimes, but now lately, Victor, it's, it's the weirdest thing. Like I will literally, if I just pick up a guitar, I'm writing a riff and eventually it's like, man, everything I write can't be great. Let me just, you know, record it and I'll listen to it again tomorrow. And I'll probably hate it tomorrow. But like <laughs> nine out of 10 times, I'm like, this is awesome. You know, like I got to right. go record this. So for the last six, seven records I've done, last six records I've done, I recorded everything to a click track. So I like record everything. Like I'm finished with the song basically. And then I hand it to Ron Lipnicki on the drummer or mm-hmm. now Johnny Kelly for Patriarchs in Black. And then when they finish the drums and then we give it to either Jason McMaster, the singer from Cassius King, Carl Eagle, the singer from Patriarchs in Black and Patriarchs in Black. It's going to be a really fun record where there's going to be a bunch of different singers. So, right. um, you know, trying to juggle all that's a little different, but it's really the riff writing is getting easier and easier and easier. I, mean, I wrote two songs last weekend and I'm going to record them tomorrow. Oh, wow. Awesome. H- how do you distinguish? All right. I'm going to use this for Cassius uh, King and I'm going to use this for Patriarchs in Black. Is it just when you're writing the riffs, do you have a different feel and say, this no. Is for this? no? It's for whatever I want it to be. Basically, like, I mean, um, so right now, like I said, I think we recorded, uh, or I recorded 12 songs for Cassius King. So that's enough because Jason McMaster's already started, started uh, singing to a few of them. And mm-hmm. Jimmy Shulman's coming out from New York City uh, Sunday. He's going to be in the studio. We're going to finish our first brand new Cassius King single called Bad Man Down. And we're doing a Kiss cover, Come On and Love Me. But I mean, I have enough songs written for the next Cassius King record. You don't, you know, more than 12, it's a waste. So right. then I started writing for Patriarchs in Black. And now I'm, I'm looking at my list. I might be up to like 14 songs by tomorrow. Um, but, you know, any of the songs could really be for any of the bands, I think. There's mm-hmm. a couple songs that are more rock and roll that I'm like, this would be perfect for Jason. Right. And then I'll write something. Um, and maybe I hear my buddy John Costco's voice in my head for it, you know? Mm-hmm. or Dewey from um, Kill Devil Hill or whatever. But, right. um, you know, I just write and, you know, I'll, I'll throw songs. The first two people to always hear my new riffs is my wife and my bass player, Jimmy Shulman. And okay. Jimmy Shulman will be like, nah, leave that one for your other band or forget about that one. Or like, you better make that a Cassius King song. I'm like, oh, I already, you know, it's a Patriarchs and Black song. He's like, oh, you're a bastard. No, make that Cassius King, you know? <laughs> so um, they could be for anybody, you know? I mean, I'm really having fun stretching my wings right now. I mean, I've worked with so many great musicians over the year, but you know, now to work with um, Johnny Kelly and Carl and Dave Niebuhr from Dog Eat Dog played bass on the first Patriarchs and Blast single, which is called 
Demon of Regret just came out today. Um, right. It's fun jamming with different people. You know, I got a lot of people I know in the music business and it's been really fun, like just juggling, you know, two albums simultaneously with, you know, really like 12 different musicians. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. fun. It's funny because when I heard the uh, Patriarchs and Black single, I posted it instantly to uh, to my Patreon page where I post videos there all the time to get people's feedback that follow me there. And uh, and one of the things that I said was how the song just really jumped out at me when I when I heard it, just with the just the combo of just your riffs, the vocals and Johnny's distinct playing. And I had um, one of my patrons say right away, well, what's wrong? You didn't like the Cassius King album? I said, no, I didn't say that. It's just that this just really wasn't what I was expecting. It was, you know, something completely different. I don't I don't know what it was, but it just kind of had that ick it factor that kind of just jumped out at me. Um, so I, I found that to be rather interesting that somebody kind of, he didn't take offense, but you know, yeah. he was asking why the, the other stuff. And I said, look, it's not that I don't like this stuff. It's just that this just kind of grabbed me a lot quicker, but. Well, let's um, say thank you to Brad. Brad bought the cursed album. I like these. So I can see what people are saying. Thank you, Brad. But yeah, yeah. you know what? I know what you mean. Like, I mean, um, it's just, everything's you know you're allowed to have different opinions and you were talking about some bands before that i'm just not a fan of and i'm like man i can't believe these guys like them you know but so what you know it doesn't mean i'm right it's just my personal taste but um i have friends who are like you know don't get offended but i like cassius king better than vessel of light i'm like whatever you know i like italian food better than uh, i mean I, maybe i mean i like a nice italian restaurant better than the olive garden it doesn't really mean i'm right it's just that's what i like you know right yeah, that's that's interesting. That's something that I, especially with this Patreon group that I have, the, everyone in there is it's like a real friendly environment. And I post all types of hard rock and metal just because I don't like it doesn't mean somebody else won't like it. And the whole thing sure. is just to get people to talk about music, you know, just forget about the rest of the shit that's going on during your day and just mellow out, listen to some music, maybe something you wouldn't have listened to otherwise, or maybe you didn't know that Dan Lorenzo's putting something new out. So I'm posting it. And that way, if you like it, you can go uh, support when, you know, when the new album comes out or the Cassius King or vessel of light or anything else that, that you've released um, with Johnny Kelly, obviously, you know, you've been up and down um, the, the New York, New Jersey area with all the different bands that you've been in. Johnny's a similar deal. I mean, everyone knows him from typo and obviously he's gone on to play with Danzig and he's playing in quiet right now as well. Um, what made it right for you guys to connect, to put patriarchs and black together? I'm going to say, we're going to blame everything on Ron Lipnicki because, you know, Ron's in a million cover bands and right. I kept throwing song after song at him. And he's like, go to the studio after work and bust out like six songs. And he's all sweaty. And he has to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, so I'm like, man, I'm overworking this guy. I feel bad. I said, let me reach out to Johnny. Johnny and I, I don't remember even how we hooked up like friendly wise. Um, mm -hmm. I just, you know, I was always like, you know, I knew his name, obviously he's been in, played, you know, he's been doing stuff so much bigger than I've ever done. So right. um, I was like, kind of like flattered that he would even acknowledge my email, you know, but, um, and then Blitz told me, Blitz is like, um, you know, Johnny Kelly is the perfect drummer for your riffs. I'm like, oh, interesting, you know. And uh, <laughs> I sent Johnny a couple things and he's like, 
he's like, yeah, he's like, I'll, I'll work with this, you know? And then, um, I got rock hard magazine in the mail a few weeks ago. And, um, I said, you know what, let me just really try and get a real record deal for this. So I emailed four labels and mm-hmm. it was just, I woke up the next morning and I had four offers on the table and, you know, they were they're not huge offers, but they were offers, which is great yeah. in the year 2000. It was at 21 at the time. And then, you know, I was talking with these four and they kind of everybody up their game a little bit. And I said, Hey, I'm leaning this way. They're like, Oh, we'll do this for you. Well, so we signed with MDD records. I'm hoping to have the, the patriarchs in black, uh, Demon of Regret singles out right now digitally. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to hand in the record the end of April, which is probably the same time um, Cassius King will be finished, maybe the end of March. And okay. probably going to have two albums out late summer, early fall. You know, Cassius King, oh, wow. the second album by Cassius King, and the first, the debut by Patriarchs in Black. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, and it's interesting because you, you're talking about Ron Lipnicki, you're talking about um, Jimmy as well, and this is the first time in how many albums that you're not recording with them because you did Cassius King, obviously. Yeah. You did the last two Vessel of Light releases with them as well. Um, you said you're blessed to know all these great musicians. When you go into play with them, do you feel it's a breath of fresh air uh, to try playing with different people? Do you play to try to accommodate the people's styles or is Dan Lorenzo just Dan Lorenzo when he goes in to do these? To, yeah. To- so, I mean, we're not even rehearsing because, you know, Johnny lives in Texas now the last couple of years. So okay. um, I haven't jammed in a room with any of these guys other than Jimmy and Ron and Nathan, because, you know, Vessel of Light did like 10 shows before Corona shut everything down. Um, right. And uh, Jason, and Jimmy and Jason and Ron, they never even met each other. You know, they've never even met. So I just, like I said, I, Victor, I'm just like finishing albums with the click track. So, it, you yeah. know, anybody could play to it. You know, it, it, it's not like we're like trying to look, find the groove or whatever. It just, for whatever reason, it just seems to work this way. And it, it is really up my game as far as creativity. And um, it's just super fun and really easy. You know, you don't have to schedule rehearsal. And, you know, Johnny's cutting track right now as I'm doing the interview. Um, so it doesn't matter what everybody's schedule is. You don't have to all be there at the same time because of the modern world, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. And it's funny when I saw that, uh, Dave Nearbor was playing with you on this because I thought, well, um, Dan and, and Dave have worked together before. Yeah. Yeah. Not recorded together to my knowledge. Um, yeah. Dave was on a song of mine called F bombs for everyone on my second okay. solo album. It's my big hit song down at the basketball court. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys worked together at stepping out years ago as well. Correct. No, no. Dave works. Uh, Dave's in doggy dog, obviously. And right. he works at Sam Ash, but um, Dave oh, okay. um, mucky pup. Dave was in mucky pup and doggy dog. And their first shows were opening up for Hades. So, you know, I've okay. known of him for a million years, but you know, doggy dog again, way bigger than anything I've ever done in Europe, you know, um, right. they're not as well known in America, but, um, I was just, uh, texting with Dave today. He's playing it in his record store, you know, not his record store. He works, like I said, at Sam Ash and right. he's really into it, which is great. Cause you know, the guy's been doing it for years. He's been basically right. making a living off music for a long, long time. And I'm like a guy who has a day job and mm-hmm. Dave, Dave actually gave me some really cool inspirational thoughts a few months ago. He's like, I love what you're doing and everything you're doing better is better now than what you were doing 30 years ago. He's like, keep it up. He's like, we're all going to get old and die and this is going to be our legacy. So just keep doing it, you know? And I, I'm like, wow, that's a good point. You know, that's, that's an awesome way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, all right. So I'm mixing him up. Did you work at stepping out with someone else who was in Dog Eat Dog? Uh, no, Alan was, you know, the singer for Hades. Alan, yeah, yeah, yeah. He worked, okay. yeah. After I started stepping out, he came on board like maybe six months later. Okay, um, I'm screwing my facts up here. So that's all right. <laughs> my apologies. Um, when you decided to go with several singers for Patriarchs in Black, is that right off the bat you wanted to try different people or it was scheduling with people that you decided was going to be multiple singers? Well, so I wanted to get a hold of Carl and I did. And Johnny's like, what about Dewey from Kill Devil Hill? I'm like, that's cool. He's a great singer, you know? And then we both had the idea. We like, I thought of it on a one night and I'm like, I was almost like, I don't want to say intimidated by Johnny, but I didn't want to like be like pushy or just like suggest things. And, and that, he's like, you know, it would be kind of fun if we had a bunch of different singers. I'm like, I was thinking the same thing yesterday, but I didn't know if it was a stupid idea. And right now I'm so happy with what Carl did with the single. We're going to have him sing at least a couple other songs, but right. you know, as excited as I am about Carl, it might be, maybe Dewey's going to come up with something that'll, be even better or John Costco or, right. you know, Rob Dukes has been working on a song for a while. So it, you know, it's really cool. And it, it doesn't, you know, maybe, maybe this will be like the first, the next record will have just one singer. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's happening. I just know I'm having a lot of fun, Victor. Yeah. You're the, uh, the slash of New Jersey who did that on his first solo album and then decided to go with one guy moving forward. So who knows? Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Let's, let's hope uh, you start making that slash like money as well. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen. Not with music anyway, maybe with selling tattoo supplies, but not with music. <laughs> there you go. Um, how many of these songs do you throw at uh, Blitz to see if he's interested in lending his vocals? I've sent him a few things like, this is great. This is great. So I'm like, oh, well, what does that mean? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, it's awesome. He's like, I love it. He's like, did you write this for me? I said, no, I just wrote it, man. He's like, it's exactly my style. I'm like, all right, well, do you want to sing on it? He's like, He's like, I just, I got others. He's, his head is into it right now. But right. Blitz, I got to be honest, man, out of anybody, Blitz and Dave Niebuhr, out of anybody pseudo famous, they've looked out for me the most. Like Blitz has, you know, said incredibly nice things on, about me in interviews and he wears my shirts. I'll get a, a picture from somebody who's like, oh, I, you know, we paid Blitz $75 to do this. Um, What's that thing? Not, you know, whatever the hell it is where people Any say, other- Cammy, yeah, yeah. And Blitz is always wearing a Vessel of Light shirt. So I love that. Um, Blitz has been so good to me. He's called me one of his favorite guitar players uh, in the world many times. I know he loves my songwriting. So he's just, he's been awesome to me, you know? Yeah. He's um, the one time that I met up with him was actually here in Spain. And, um, and he says to me, he goes, yeah, those guys from uh, Talking Metal taking care of you. I'm like, yeah, they're good to me. He's like, well, if they're not, you let me know, man. I'll talk to them for you. <laughs> it was it was funny because I wore a talking metal shirt that night on purpose. Right, and, right. And uh, Ron Lipnicki is over, coming out like behind the uh, behind the stage. They'd finished playing. He'd taken a shower or whatever. And he's looking at me from far away. And I'm like, he saw the shirt. So he's taking the bait. He's, you know, this is why I wore the shirt. So, um, so he walks over, he goes, the fuck are you doing wearing a talking metal shirt in Spain? And so I start, I start to explain to him, you know, my connection to those guys and, and whatnot. And he goes, uh, when are you going to be in Jersey the next time? I'm like, I'm actually going to be there in a few months. He's like, 
oh, you can stay at my apartment if you want. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be on tour. But if you want, I'll have somebody give you the keys. I'm like, Ron, you don't even know me. I'm like, how are you, <laughs> you know, how are you giving me um, your keys? Funny enough, years later, um, a relative of mine and someone I went to high school with have become supposedly friends with Ron. So, um, so I got, uh, that's my uh, Ron Lipnicki story. But uh, well, anyway, Ron is a sweetheart. He's a yeah. really, he's got a really big heart. He can't say no to anybody, which I, I just sent him a text. It's what, he's got to learn to say no to some people because he'll be playing in some bands and he'll be on stage. And I'm like, Oh, Ron, what do you, and then he called me the next day. He's like, I know what, what am I doing? I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. Learn yeah. to say no. Tell some of these bands you don't want to be in them, you know, but he's, he has a hard time saying no to people because he doesn't want to disappoint people because he has such a big heart, you know? Yeah. Well, you can tell. I mean, from my one interaction with him, I, you could, you could absolutely tell. Um, Cassius King, you mentioned before, there's obviously a name that you used with your early solo stuff. And then you decided to attach it to the project with, um, with Jason. Um, what made you decide to go in that direction with using that name? Just because it was out there already. And it's so hard to think of a brand new original name. I sort of had been using it and Mm -hmm. we did some covers with uh, Jason and, and Rob Dukes and John Costco labeled as Cassius King when it was myself and Jimmy Shulman and Ron Lipnicki. And Jason, I just sent him a text. I'm like, you want to call it Cassius King? He's like, done. That's it. You know? So it was real. It wasn't talked about in great length. It was just, out there, we all like the name, and and we figured, why not? Who has more bands right now? You or Jason McMaster? You know, it's it's crazy. Now, Jason and Ron and Johnny will always have more bands than me because right now, Vessel of Lights taking a hiatus. Nathan moved from Cleveland to uh, Austin, which is right where Jason lives. Right. And so, right now, I'm going to say all I really have is uh, Patriarchs in Black and Cassius King. But there's a couple Duke's Lorenzo things out there, a couple cover songs, you know. But I'm really, I don't want to make people crazy and confused. I mean, you already got Dave Niebuhr working for Step It Out Magazine, Victor. I can't, you know, I can't keep throwing these brand new bands at you. You know, I got to, I got to keep it somewhat simple for you to remember them. There you go. So with Vessel of Light, you're saying that you guys are on hiatus. Any chance that you would revisit uh, the band in the future? I would love to. Yeah. I mean, I mean. To me, last ride, I mean, I would get that tattooed on my chest. I just thought it was the greatest record I've ever done. I don't mm-hmm. know if I can surpass Vessel of Light, last ride album. That I don't know, man. I love it so much. And, um, you know, I was so happy that Jimmy and I hadn't played shows in years. And we got back out there and we did 10 shows with Vessel of Light. And we were having a blast, man. And it was just picking up a little steam, it seemed like. And then mm-hmm. Corona shut everything down. And then Nathan ended up moving, you know, basically indirectly, probably because of Corona. And that, mm-hmm. you know, that we had to offer to play the Maryland Doom Fest, but Nathan was literally just moving to Austin. So right. the band's a little bit on hiatus right now, but I would love to for sure. Okay. Um, as far as that, as far as uh, the Maryland Doom Fest, when you released The Cursed, I remember, I don't know if we had this discussion or if I heard you talking to someone else mentioning that the the word doom metal and stoner metal and stuff like that you were kind of cautious to try to associate the cursed with that but it seems as if you know definitely when you came back with vessel of light that maybe you weren't so standoffish with that term yeah you know i think i just maybe the reason 
you know, the, the stone, like I'm like the straightest guy in the world. I don't even like the taste of alcohol. I haven't taken a head off a joint since 1994. Um, I've never had a hangover. So it's, it's a little weird for me, but that is the kind of music that I think I write, you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. definitely like there's other things I've seen, like, you know, tune low, play slow, but the, the Patriarchs in Black album is actually a little more up-tempo than Vessel of Light. And it, I, you know, not by design, it just happens that way. But um, I don't know if I was standoffish because I, I remember people calling nonfiction a doom band in 1990. And I was like, what's that mean? Like, I wasn't even sure what that meant, you know? But um, right. I guess I would say I embrace the title now, you know? Gotcha. Okay. Um, you have been releasing a lot of really cool merch and reissues of Hades and, and nonfiction stuff through uh, Seasons of Mist. And what, what made you decide to go back and revisit all of that? <laughs> um, nah. So Season of Mist, we have a merch deal with. Um, so they make okay. the, the merch for all of my bands. But um, we have separate deals like No Dust Records and um, Holland re- just re-released Hades' uh, Damnation on vinyl. Um, I got a contract somewhere here from a label. In Spain, actually, again, that it's going to re-release all the nonfiction albums. Oh wow! Um, on vinyl, what's that? I, I said, oh wow! Um, um, yeah. that that to me is uh, exciting because for once, maybe I can order something without it costing thirty bucks to yeah. get to me. So that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. So Spanish label. It's it's always like you know, um, whatever labels are approaching us. I mean, we're not commanding yeah. big money now, but. It's not like I'm dying to re-release Resisting Success for the uh, fourth time, but like some guy in Massachusetts is making it a double gatefold LP, you know, vinyl with literally two slabs of vinyl with the original and then the uh, demo tapes on vinyl, which have never we've never oh, had wow. that. So, I mean, if the fans are into it and there's labels that are willing to throw us a couple dollars, I mean, obviously I don't want any of my music to die completely. I really want to have the cursed room full of sinners re-release, but you know, blitz commands big money. So he's not going to re-release anything for, you know, chump change, you know, he, he commands right. real money. And um, I'm uh, you know, I, I make a living working for a tattoo supply company. I work out of my home here in New Jersey and um, you know, I make a nice living. I've been comfortable for years. So I'm not like as picky with record deals as far as like, I'm not asking for a fortune, you know, I, I'm realistic that, right. You know, my music's not going to sell a million copies, so I can't ask for a million dollars, you know. But, right. um, you know, just there, are, there is a little bit of not a huge demand, but there's, you know, there's enough people out there to warrant the re-release of the Hades and the nonfiction. So why not, right? Is there or has there been any discussion of doing anything with either band? No, I'm done with that. Mike Christie is really not into um, playing heavy music right now. And um, Mike's got his own thing. Mike was the drummer for nonfiction. He's got his own thing called Nolan's Volans. It's like, call it more like dance music. Um, Kevin, I asked him to play one song on the Patriarchs album. And he's just so busy. And mm-hmm. um, the rest of the guys in Hades, we can't really play like that thrash anymore. I mean, my wrist, my thumb, it hurts, you know? Right. Um, I mean, I feel great for my age. Like I'm 59. I turned 59 last week, but. I feel awesome except for my right hand. Like it hurts when I play guitar. It hurts pretty bad. Right. So um, Hades would be impossible. Honestly, just couldn't physically do it. And the rest, the other guys feel the same way, I think, you know? Okay. Um, 
I have some uh, questions that were submitted via Patreon. Um, you kind of touched on this already, but one of the questions from uh, Jeremy in the UK is how has Patri- how has patriarch? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> how has COVID impacted your projects? It's been a blessing in disguise in a certain sense. I mean, right now, Johnny Kelly is home in Texas working on my, my songs. I mean, if, if, if right. it wasn't for COVID, Johnny would be out on tour. You know, he makes a living as a drummer. Um, he teaches drum lessons as well from Texas now. But um, it's probably helped me. Um, people aren't doing things, you know, they're not really as busy as they were on tour. So I got some guys who maybe normally wouldn't have the time to do stuff with me. They're sitting home and they're looking for some creative outlets. So it's maybe almost helped me in a way. I mean, I hate what's going on. I wish it would all go away immediately. But um, I, I'm trying, like, I always try to look at the bright side of things. You know, I mean, I've got the greatest life ever and COVID sucks. But um, musically, it hasn't really hurt me at all. It just, I mean, like I said, Vessel of Light was playing shows and then it just stopped. But, you know, I mean, I'm really happy that we've got to do 10 shows. So it hasn't been that bad for me. Okay. And that's interesting because I've mentioned this a bunch over the last year. I think that a lot of bands, because they have been forced to focus on their music, have put out some of their best material, both sonically and from a compositional standpoint, because they've had, you know, they, they had nothing else to do. So they're going to focus yeah. on, on their music instead of trying to get back out on the road. So. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so his follow-up question is for someone like me who isn't familiar with Dan's music, where should I start? Oh, I would love for you to start with Vessel of Light Last Ride. Um, I don't know if I can top that. Woodshed, Vessel of Light, Woodshed, Vessel of Light, Thy Serpent Rise. I'm just like, I I worship those albums so much. I mean, I don't I think I'll be listening to them 20 years from now. Um so, yeah, that's, you know, my most most artists, their most recent stuff is always their favorite. But, you know, like I said, Patriarchs in Black, if you check that out, Patriarchs in Black, Demon of Regret. I mean, I can't really work with a, a guy who comes up with a better melody line and Johnny's drumming is just perfect for the song. Um, mm -hmm. I'm super proud of that. And then I'm going to hit everybody up in a month or so. We're going to have a lyric video for Cassius King, Bad Man Down in a single. And it's like it's so catchy. Um, the weird thing is Jason McMaster, the way he's singing, it reminds me of the singer from the band kicks, which is, you know, I don't write that kind of music, but it's something about it reminds me of that, which is really different for me. So, um, yeah, I would say if you want to start off vessel of light last ride, I'm not going to be upset. Okay. Or maybe even vessel of light woodshed. See what you think. There you go. Okay. And, uh, Mike Jones. Actually, Mike, I think that Dan has already answered your question. He says that um, he asked where you're living now. He, I know he goes back and forth between Jersey and Florida, but you said you're in Jersey. so Yeah, yeah. I, I go to Florida for fun. I mean, you know, uh, I'm a Jersey boy. I got the Jersey tattoos, 201 and all that. But um, I love, I hate New Jersey in the winter. It's it's brutal. So I try and go to uh, South Beach a couple times a year and, my, and uh, Key West a couple times a year, Victor. Yeah. There you go. Um, and he asks if there's any other pending projects that haven't been announced yet. How many more do you need? What's this guy's name? <laughs> Mike Jones. What's his name? Mike Jones? Yeah. Mike, come on. How many more projects? Well, just if you want to look on Spotify, you'll see Dukes Lorenzo with um, 
my buddy Scott LePay, Scott LePage played bass on his song. We just released um, Black Sabbath Snowblind with Rob Dukes and Johnny Kelly. And um, but yeah, right now Patriarchs in Black. I'm, I'm I got to finish the guitarist for that record tomorrow. And like I said, the Cash is King. So I think that's enough for right now. I think I'm not sure if the world needs any more of me than those two albums coming out. <laughs> and uh, Art in the chat asks, uh, when you're on a roll of writing, do you consider putting them? in the vault or have them on hand when the creative, when creatively is harder to come by? Yeah. If I would say I never put anything in the vault intentionally, the only time things are put in the vault is if I work with a singer who couldn't think of a melody line. I mean, I'm always hearing melody lines in my head and I like my melody lines, but usually the singer's like, no, I'll take care of my own melody line. But um, <laughs> a lot of times I'll have this one riff that just doesn't go anywhere. And I was listening on my unit the other night, I've got a couple songs, I guess, before I hurt my hand that are like kind of thrashy. And mm -hmm. I keep asking Scott LePage to do a solo record because I got a couple things that I know he would kill it. Scott was um, in, on the first Hades album with me. And right. uh, yeah, so the only time I have put things in the vault is if the riff, if it's just one great riff and I can't find anywhere to go with it. But that's where I have like 200 of them. You know, that's what takes up most of my recording and is not even in songs, like one riff that I love and I won't delete it. I won't erase it, but it mm -hmm. just doesn't go anywhere yet. You know? Yeah. How often do you go through them and pick something out to, to bring forward on one of these projects? I should do it more often, but I get bored after like, I'll go through like 40 or 50 and then I'm like, Oh man, there's a great riff I can use for this song. Oh man, there's another, I'm going to write a whole song out of this. And then it's like, there's still 220 pieces of music left. So I should do it more often. Yeah. Yeah, because you always hear stories about like Iomi and Mustaine and all these people that just have boxes of cassettes or their phones are full of riffs. So, yeah. Um, all right. So getting back to, uh, let's see, Patriarchs. You actually you said Patriarchs and um, Cassius King both drop, uh, you said, in the summer, right? I would hope so. Late summer, early fall. Yeah. The second Cassius King album and the first Patriarchs in Black album. Okay. When these do come out, where do you want people to go to ensure that you get the most amount of money in your pocket? Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing this for the money. I mean, thank God I, you know, I don't, I don't have children, no offense, but I've saved enough money. I don't, I don't, money is not my issue right now. I just want people to get it anywhere, but they want to get it. I actually like when they support the label. I personally make more money when they buy it on Bandcamp or digitally. But I also like the labels because if the labels, if they don't sell CDs and vinyl, um, then I won't get a deal to do another one. So, um, you know, putting out vinyl is not cheap, but um, right. I, I, you know, however they want to get it. I mean, Spotify, it's like, eh, you know, we don't make any money. from. It doesn't really help anybody, but I wish we had more followers on Spotify. So however you want to do it, I appreciate it. But um, okay. I'm definitely not doing this for the money. Like I am not doing it for the money. Any money I make, I put back into advertising and then some, you know, promotion. So, uh, but I appreciate that question. Okay. Yeah. Um, and as far as keeping up with all the projects, I mean, you're pretty active on Instagram. Um, yeah. Where is Instagram the best place for people to keep up with you and with the bands? Or is there some place? Yeah, else I would say so. Cause I don't, I don't really understand Facebook. Like vessel of light has a Facebook page and I know people make comments and I feel bad. I don't even know how to respond to the comments. I don't, I don't get Facebook. I don't understand it. And I really don't want to be bothered by it, but I make a living talking to tattoo artists on, um, 
on Instagram. So it's like always if, if a fan writes me, I, I generally write them back in like two minutes because I'm, I spend most of my, you know, daytime hours saying hello to dealing with tattoo artists. So there'll be people who will, you know, DM me from that are fans of the band from Germany or Spain or wherever. And, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so that, yeah, Instagram is the best basically for me. Um, Dan, it's been, like I said, 11 years since the last time we spoke, we obviously have to do this again sooner. And with all the stuff that you're putting out, I mean, I've, you were on the list of people. I gotta, I gotta have Dan back on the show. I gotta have Dan back on the show. And it's one of these things where, you know, it's just the, the, the planets have never aligned, but I asked you last week and you were quick to get back to me. So it was awesome. Well, Victor, if you go more than 11 months without doing this again, I'm going to be on your ass. Okay. So I'll be reaching out to you and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to force my way back on here. If you don't, if you don't ask me to. Oh, last question. I, I completely forgot about this. Um, what's it like to have a documentary made about you? Um, believe it or not, I have two right now. This, you have um, two documentaries. Yeah. Okay. There's this guy, David Hoffman, who just did a second one. He's a professional documentary guy and he's, he's a, about 70 years old or maybe even older and he's sharp as a tack. And um, it's a great documentary. It's a little bit different than the, uh, it's all about the riff documentary, which um, uh, Jason did my buddy, Jason, um, who is like, I have a few people in my life who were fans and they became friends because like Greg Smith from the Amish outlaws. I don't know if you know that name. They're a cover band, yeah. such mm -hmm. a great guy. And he was writing to me for years. And he became my friend. And now Jason Stewart, he did the documentary and he's like such a nice guy, but, it's um, heartwarming. It's touching. It's appreciated. But I'm thinking today, like, wow, like that. My documentary came out like maybe, maybe I don't know, a year and a half ago, and I have so much music I've released since that I need an updated version, you know. But it, it's it's what can you say, man? It's it's beautiful. It's touching. It's it's it. You know, like I always tell people, there's more documentaries about me than I have records sold. There's two documentaries, and I probably sold one record in my life. So it's it's awesome. There you go. Well, I actually bought the cursed on digital and on CD as well. So I know. Right, and so I, maybe, it's, maybe there's two documentaries and two, two sales. Thank you. There you go. So, yes. So getting back to what you said before, how about we make it so that when you release both of these albums later on this year, we'll have you back on and we can talk about both. That sounds great to me, Victor. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. And have a great uh, night. We, yeah, you too. We will be in touch as usual. Thanks. Awesome. Excellent. So that is my interview with Mr. Dan Lorenzo. What an awesome, uh, what an awesome conversation there. Um, again, I have all these people telling me, well, if you want the show to be bigger, you got to book bigger guests. You got to do this. You got to do that. I just want to have good conversations with people and talk to them about music. Again, the people that are usually here on Fridays know this the people that follow all my various, um, you know, podcasts and live streams and stuff know this, that I just love to talk about music and help spread the word about stuff like what Dan is doing and what others are doing. Uh, by all means, folks support the bands you love. And he said it right there. Just, it's not about the money for him. Just support him any way that you can stream it, buy it, get the physical copy, whatever it is. Um, Guys, I want to thank you for joining me tonight for this extra long edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. This will be released in podcast format next week. So if you 
want to listen to it while you're out on a walk, while you're going to work, whatever it is, you can do so. Uh, thanks once again to Brad, to Art, to uh, Jeremy, who helped co-host earlier today. We had Rob Rowe in here as well. Uh, thanks to anyone who is sharing this or liking it. Um, anyone that subscribed. And um, uh, if you made it this far, thank you. I know that there are a million other things you could be doing, but you choose to watch or listen to this episode. Um, remember, for those that want to try out these um, Patreon page, from here to the end of January, if you want to join for two bucks and decide that it's not for you, cancel the subscription, let me know. I will refund your money. I will PayPal you your two bucks back. Um, I would have to say that, or I'm confident that 99% of you, 99.999% of the people that, that hop on for two bucks will want to continue to stay patrons after especially if they're fans of new music, new music by old bands you love, new music by bands you may have never known before. All about the music there on the Patreon. So on that note, thank you guys. And we will see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast and by VMRIT, my web design and audio editing side project, project, business, however you want to look at it. Anyway, thank you, folks. We'll see you on Tuesday for Trivia Tuesday on Twitch. Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to keep up with everything that I have going on. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 